Folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is April the 7th, 2015. This is episode 1551 of the Survival Podcast. And since it's April 7th, it doesn't seem like a significant date. It's pretty significant to me because I estimate around April 14th, my Muscovy Duck girls are going to hatch out at least part of the eggs that they've been sitting on somewhere around then. So I'm like seven days away from new babies that I don't have to take care of for a change. So when you get a week away from something, you start to get a little bit excited about it. Ask any kid the week before Christmas about that. They'll explain it to you. Just a little tidbit for you today. What are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about making our lives easier. That's why I brought up the ducks. See, when mama ducks take care of baby ducks, I don't have to. Well, what if a lot of the things in our homes that we rely on getting done every day, like turning water on and off, like um, you know, doing things like letting our birds out or making sure our doors are locked or, or what have you, or any number of things that we have to do every day in our homesteads, were done by technology through a process that we call automation. Can you do it? Yes, you can. Is it hard? No, it's not really. It's a little bit of a learning curve. Is it expensive? It doesn't have to be. We have a gentleman that's going to be with us here in just a bit. His name is Eric Escobar. Uh, he has kind of made this his uh, mainstay hobby, even though he is a professional computer hacker by trade. Yes, a professional hacker. A guy that's paid to hack. Uh, a white hat hacker, I guess is what you would call him. He's an awesome dude, but he's taken that knowledge and realized that, you know what, when it comes to doing things like automating your house, it's really not that valuable. And he's learned how to do most of this stuff on YouTube and through some other resources he's going to give you today. He's learned how to do it effectively and cheap, above all other things. So we'll have him on in just a minute to talk about automating your homestead. Before we do that, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsor. Sponsor of the day number one today, HarvestEating.com. The awesome, illustrious Chef Keith Snow, who keeps me eating well. Chef Keith keeps me eating well because at least five to six times a week I reach into my cupboard, I pull out uh, some version of harvest eating seasoning. Last night, it was Montana steak seasoning, went on two wonderful ribeyes that we feasted on after they were charred beautifully on the grill with that wonderful, wonderful Montana steak seasoning. He's got a lot of other really great seasonings. He's got a lot of great stuff on his blog. He's got a lot of great videos. He's got an awesome podcast. Lots of great stuff over at Harvest Eating where you can learn to make cooking a life skill. And if you don't think cooking is a prepper skill, try living on MREs for a while. I did it for six months in Honduras. It gets old fast. Check them out today, HarvestEating.com. Next up today, Backwoods Home. The easiest thing I've ever sponsored in my life because when you're a customer of someone for over 20 years, it's pretty easy to endorse them. I became a subscriber to Backwoods Home Magazine in 1994. I discovered them in 93 at a local bookstore. By 1994, I could actually afford a, a subscription to a magazine. And I've never left. I've been a loyal subscriber now for 21 years. I don't know that I need to say much more, but check out Backwoods Home. If you're looking for learning more about increasing your skills and the, the self-sufficient homesteader lifestyle with a libertarian flair, everything that Mother Earth News could be and isn't, 
Check out Backwoods Home. You'll find it there. Backwoodshome.com. Remember, Harvest Eating Backwoods Home and many of our sponsors do give discounts to members of the Support Brigade. In fact, the Support Brigade gives discounts to you guys on over 40 vendors now. Lots of cool free content, over $150 worth of free ebooks you get on day one. And support the show for a whopping 18.3 cents an episode. To learn more, go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on members and consider becoming a member because it is how we pay the bills at the survivalpodcast.com. It's the main way that the content that you tune in to listen to every day is supported. Without that, I wouldn't have much of a salary, guys. I mean, I work for you. That's why I try to bring you the stuff that you want and keep bringing you new, fresh content, like today's show on automation. Tomorrow we're going to have another awesome show. Um, we, we try to bring you five shows a week that give you this variety of content. This is how we pay the bills to be able to do that. This is what enables a lifestyle where I can be on the air every day for you. So consider joining military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, prior service, first responders like EMTs, paramedics, firefighters. I'll qualify for a discount. Email me, jack at the survivalpodcast.com. Service discount TSPC in the subject line. Tell me about your service in one or two sentences. Anyway, with that, let's talk about the year that was the episode before I bring Mr. Escobar on. The year is 1551. I have... When the family is punished for your treason. Uh, it's collective punishment on a whole new level there. We have a narrative of the Incas. And we have the fifth outbreak of sweating disease and the no-name virus. That's the one I'm going to read, but all of these are good as usual. To read the other ones and learn more about history and self-reliance, self-sufficiency, permaculture, survivalism, guns to gardens, and everything in between, check out tspwiki.com, the wiki built by the TSP community. Anyway, the fifth outbreak of sweating disease and the no-name virus, the English sweating disease, usually kills in a day. It's a lung disease that begins with flu-like symptoms and moves quickly to extreme sweating and coughing. If you can survive for 24 hours, you're probably going to make it. Medical historians believe it was a more virulent form of the modern hantavirus, so that means it is distantly related to Ebola. This year, John Caius of Shrewsbury categorizes the symptoms of the disease. His work allows a modern physician to understand what might have been going on during this epidemic. My take by Alex Shrug that puts these segments together for us every day. The hantavirus is a rare in the United States. A recent memorable outbreak was at Yosemite National Park in 2012. People stayed in tent cabins that were infested with deer mice. Ten occupants contracted the disease. Three died. The virus is passed through rodent droppings or urine getting into food and into bedding. The virus was isolated in 93 in the Four Corners region of New Mexico, so it was originally called the Four Corners virus. But after protests of the people living in the Four Corners area, the name was changed to Sin Nombre virus, which is Spanish for no-name virus. Sin Nombre. The lesson is do not assume your national park, rental, RV, or hotel is doing everything it can to keep you safe. Trust but verify. Yeah, you know, the reason I picked this one is it gives me the opportunity to talk about something else that just recently happened. Down in the Bahamas or St. Thomas or somewhere in the beautiful Caribbean, a family went to, uh, to hang out for a vacation and they stayed in a beautiful hotel room. And all four of them almost died. I think the children might still be on uh, a critical condition in the hospital, but are expected to make it. The father's sick in the hospital. This is as of yesterday. I saw it on TV. Um, sick, still in the hospital, but in pretty good shape. And mom, I think, has been released from the hospital. How did that happen? It wasn't the Hantavirus. It wasn't the Sonombre virus. It was 
Well, it was Terminex. Yeah, Terminex. See, there's this pesticide, I don't remember what it's called, but it's absolutely 100% not allowed to be used indoors. Right, And whatever island this is, it's a U.S. territory, so our regulations apply down there. But Terminix, a multi-billion dollar giant company, uh, for some reason one of their people or contractors or whatever went into a room and sprayed this shit all over the place. It happened to be the room underneath this family. The pesticide is so toxic that it came up through the, you know, through the ventilation system, through the floor, whatever, and almost killed these four people who were doing nothing other than enjoying a vacation. What can you do about something like that? Well, one thing you can do in our legal system, and I am not big on lawsuits, but yeah, you're getting one here, and you deserve it, Terminex. You get a lawyer and sue the shit out of him. That doesn't keep you alive. And if it was a surviving family member suing, then that doesn't keep them alive. So that's like you know what you do when there's nothing else to do. And, and trust me, this is a lawsuit that's about to get epic, I, I would think. In fact, I'll bet you, I'll just bet you Terminex is like, yeah, what's this going to cost? Because we want this to go away. And uh, we know we're screwed if we go to court. So I, I bet they settle out of court with this. But again, this doesn't keep you alive, and it doesn't keep you out of the hospital. I mean, this turned a, a wonderful vacation into a horrific event. And it's certainly possible that members of this family, even though it looks like all four will survive, will have lifetime uh, issues due to this type of toxic exposure. Who knows? They could end up with cancer in the future. They could have chronic ongoing issues. I mean, this is bad stuff. So what could be done? Trust but verify to a degree. But if you ask the people that run this resort, uh, did you spray something inside the rooms that you weren't supposed to? They'll probably say no. It is likely, though, at least likely, that it's possible that these people were spraying this stuff while they were there. So the only advice I could give in this situation, and understanding the gravel truck analogy I use, like you can't be prepared for everything. If you're driving to work today and a gravel truck hits you, you're dead. Okay? That's it. It's over. It's done. Um, as long as you can fog a mirror, your mission in life is not done yet. But when you can't fog a mirror anymore, it's done. So it's not that this family definitely could have avoided this. But had they had more situational awareness, it's at least possible that they would have the potential to notice this fumigation going on beneath them. And therefore, when the very first symptoms arise, instead of feeling like, oh, we got Montezuma's revenge down here or something like that, um, or just for feeling a little sick or whatever, they might have been a bit more aware and gotten the hell out of there. Now, my understanding is that might not be the case at all, because they might have like all went to bed and just didn't wake up. Uh, and if somebody found them and, and fortunately saved them. I, I'm not sure of the full story, but my point is that we need to be situationally aware at all times for anything that can present a danger to our life, our safety, and our health. And that's my take by Jack Spierka. With that... I uh, want to bring Eric on. Before I do, though, I want to tell you about dun, 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 the plant of the week. Yes, I'm in a good mood today. The sun is finally shining again. It's been miserable for the past two days. Just kind of depressing looking outside and hot and sticky at the same time. Anyway, so today, Bob Wells on Tuesday always has for us an awesome plant. This one you've actually heard about recently in my show about muscadines, but it's not a muscadine. It's, it's a wine grape. This is the black Spanish wine grape. The black Spanish grape is a reliable producer in most areas from USDA zone 6 to 10. The plant produces a juicy grape with a blackish blue skin that is good for juice, jelly, and wine. 
It is a heavy and regular producer that is resistant to Pierce's disease and mildew. The black Spanish grape is often considered the best variety for growing in the Deep South due to its unparalleled disease resistance. The wine produced by the black Spanish is similar to Merlot or Cabernet wine. It ripens in August to September and benefits from cane pruning. You can find this plant more at BobWellsNursery.com. Bob Wells Nursery specializes in anything edible. Fruit trees, berry plants, nut trees as well. It's hard to find specialty trees. And apparently grapes as well. I feel bad because I just bought a whole bunch of uh, muscadines and grapes from Ison's because they had some things Bob didn't. Uh, but if I would have known Bob had the black Spanish, I could have at least got those from Bob. Um, try to support the people that support the show. Remember, Bob Wells gives all MSB members 10% off all orders. Um, anyway, I didn't know Bob had these, but I, I just ordered four. I'm waiting on them to come in from Ison's along with all my muscadines and all. And I got about seven varieties of muscadines and two varieties of wine grapes. One is called Candace, and the other is called the Black Spanish. I have four of these going on the south-facing fence of the front yard, specifically to produce that good quality wine. I probably won't make a ton of wine out of that four vines, but it will give us the ability to trial this grape and see how it works here uh, and maybe do something a little bit different uh, than, than, than is typically done with wines around here where somebody gets a Cabernet clone and grows it half-assed in a climate where it just doesn't do that good. There's a reason the best Cabernets come from California. There's a reason. It's got the right climate for it. This grape is more adapted to the area and less susceptible to many of the diseases that are more humid climates here in the East have compared to people out there in California. I know I just referred to Texas as East, but we are East of New Mexico, Arizona, and California. Anyway, with that, let's get into the main topic of today's show. And it is my good pleasure right now to introduce Mr. Eric Escobar to talk to us about automating our homesteads. And with that, hey, Eric, man, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Hey, Jack, how's it going? Hey, I'm really glad to have you on. You uh, floated the idea to me about doing a show on automating stuff on the homestead. I think that's really cool and really killer. But before we get into how we can do that and what we can automate, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What do you do professionally and then, uh, you know, how'd you, how'd you end up there? Was it like a straight path that you, you had headed straight for? Or was something you kind of found your way to over time? And then how did that lead you toward, like, wanting to learn about all this automation stuff? Uh, let's see. So uh, I guess like most kids my age, I went to uh, school. I went to study to be a civil engineer. Um, yeah, I got my four-year degree. I got my master's degree in civil engineering. Um, you started working for a big civil engineering firm here where I live. And uh, just found out that it was a lot of time on the road. It was, you know, I originally went into it because I wanted to do uh, some kind of engineering that was outside where I didn't have to sit behind a desk all day. And then I realized, man, if I'm not sitting behind a desk, I'm, you know, sitting in a truck, you know, watching drillers <laughs> do something like that. So I kind of got sick of it. Um, and around that time, I uh, had another opportunity to come up. You know, I've always been interested in computers and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and, uh, this job opening came up and it was uh, basically computer hacker. It's a white hat hacker where, um, you know, I test the security and defenses of my company. Uh, and basically I try to find them before the bad guys do. Um, it's, it's really fun, really exciting. And it's something that I never thought I could ever do, I guess, uh, in terms of, um, you know, for something that you fall into, it seems like kind of a dream job. Um, and oh. I've, I, yeah, I absolutely love it. It's great. Very cool. And, like, how did that lead you toward this whole automation thing? Was it, like, something you were doing with 
you know, all this advanced technology that you have knowledge of, or is it something you kind of really just wanted to do on your own? You know, it was a little bit of both. Um, so it's always something I've kind of been interested in, but, you know, I definitely use it at work. So, so some of the things that we have are just small little computers. And, you know, you can program them to do just pretty much anything you want. Um, and I really got interested in it because I see some of them are like, oh, you know, they have overheat protection, so they'll have a little temperature sensor in there. And, you know, you can use something like that. And that's kind of how I got started, uh, just kind of poking around, playing around, Googling stuff, um, just kind of going from there. Gotcha. So... When, when, you know, when somebody listens to somebody like you that has all this knowledge and you're, you're a programmer as a profession and a, a white hat hacker and stuff like that, does that mean that this stuff is hard to do? Uh, that somebody's going to have to go get a degree in computer programming to be able to do this stuff we're going to talk about today? Well, so that's, that's kind of the funny thing is that, you know, I got my degree in civil engineering, which was dealing a lot with dirt, a lot with water, a lot of stuff that was not computers. Um, and so pretty much everything I've learned has come just straight from Google, straight from, you know, websites like um, there's a website called edX, uh, which is basically free online classes that you can take um, from anything from programming to electronics to, you know, I mean, they have poli sci classes. They have pretty much anything you think of. But I mean, it's all pretty much stuff that's, you know, if you can follow a YouTube video, follow some steps, it's, it's actually a lot easier than some people think. So it's probably something anybody could do as long as they're not the person that has the black tape on the DVD player because the clock starts blinking 12. Like, if you could pull that off, you could probably do most of this stuff. Yeah, absolutely, definitely. It sounds just like my parents. <laughs> uh, yeah, and there, I mean, there are people like that. They're like, they, you know, they can't, it's not they can't, I think they just refuse on certain levels to do certain things. They just won't do it. Um, but uh, I think most people then could be able to pull this stuff off. I, I still struggle a little bit with the automation of irrigation timer thing that I have, but um, it's just because I don't like to read manuals, which is probably a bad decision. Um, anyway, what can we automate? What kind of stuff can we automate on the uh, on the on the homestead? Well, so it's funny that you bring up the irrigation timer because you know I'm a you know I program computers and do all that stuff, and I actually just rebuilt my uh, you know just my sprinkler deal for my front yard and backyard um, because I couldn't stand there just sitting there watching a program or, you know, trying to program it, hit a button, the button doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so one of the deals that I set up is a, uh, just a, I don't know if you're familiar with what a relay is, but a relay is basically just an electric switch. All it does is, you know, it just acts as a switch that you can control from a computer. Um, and I just, you know, you can buy them for, I bought a bank of them, uh, eight of them for, you know, I think maybe three or $4 on eBay. Um, I have that set up so that now, you know, I just have a little Google calendar set up and whenever the calendar says to water, it waters, you know, you can set timers and do all that from your phone. It's way easier than trying to program something. Um, and it was, you know, it was one of these things I had no prior knowledge really how to do it. I just went to YouTube and was like, you know, controlled sprinklers remotely, you know, kind of thing. And it was, you know, maybe, maybe an afternoon to set up everything I had, uh, you know, on a watering system and it's kind of nice too because when you when you have something along those lines, um, you know you can always add something in. So like for example, I just bought for like a dollar or two off eBay. They have a uh, it's called a hygrometer. It measures you know moisture in the in the uh, soil. And so you know oh okay now I can hook that sensor up to it. And so now if it rains or something, I can you know not be not be somebody who's trying to water when it's raining outside. Um, so it's kind of cool because you can always add and stack. And as you you know get more skills in in that regard, you know. Um, it just becomes a lot easier. Uh, so that, that's one of the things that I built, you know, a, a Wi-Fi controlled sprinkler system, which, you know, you think, oh, it's probably really expensive, but I think I did it for half the price what 
uh, one would have been in the store. You know, it just took my time, which obviously costs money, but still. Cool. So, so irrigation. Anything else we can? Yeah, um, there's a ton of different stuff. So one of the one of the things that I just made is I made a uh, locking door for my chicken coop. So I had I lost a chicken or two um, about a couple months ago due to some, you know, I think it was a raccoon or a possum or something like that. Um, so uh, basically, I just made a chicken door that automatically opens and closes, and it'll you know text me in the morning when it's opened up, um, and it'll you know text me uh, when it closes at night or if it doesn't close if there's some kind of error. And it's kind of funny because I was listening to when you guys had the, the your 50 ducks in a hot tub, you know, that Mac McDougal, I think is what his name was, if memory serves. Um, but, you know, he's like, oh, I, you know, I hate waking up in the morning or even from you dealing with, you know, your duck chronicles. Like, yeah. oh, you know, one morning when you're, you know, when you're late, they let you know about it. And it's with this. And that used to be the same thing with my chickens. You'd hear them, you know, start squawking if I didn't let them out. And so now it's 545, you know, it's up way before they are. Um, so, so that's really kind of cool. And it's. Again, it's it's really simple. It's just a little controller set up to a timer that will then, you know, uh, turn it on and all it does is rotate a little motor and it, it, it just, uh, you know, opens up a sliding door. Um, it's really kind of cool. Um, and, and it's really as far as anything you could want in terms of, um, you know, so say uh, say you were had like your plant propagation or, you know, um, when you had, uh, I forget what his name is, I think his name was Luke, uh, he did the microgreens business, yeah. and all of his waterings, all of that kind of thing, everything yep. can be automated. You know, you have a moisture sensor that just detects, hey, you know, this this plant needs X amount of moisture always, um, you know, and just open up a little valve, um, or, you know, if you already have a little pump or something that's already going to miss them or do something like that, it's real easy to just open something up and just tie into something that's already existing you know you don't have to reinvent the wheel on any of this stuff if you can really think of it somebody's probably done it and it's probably for really cheap somewhere hmm. and i think maybe people get a little bit intimidated by the concept of automation because it sounds complicated but i think most of us use some forms of automation every day of our lives I mean, if you have a reminder set on your Outlook calendar to make a phone call once a week to a conference call, that's a type of automation. Or um, if you use a DVR on your, your satellite or your cable box, that's another form of automation. So it's not like we're not familiar with it. It's just I think it comes when it comes down to building it yourself that you get a little bit intimidated. Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the things I kind of struggle with, too, is like, oh, man, you know, and then and, you know, I'm sure, you know, maybe like a decade ago, it was probably a lot harder, but now the equipment's so cheap and everything's so universally acceptable. And, you know, there's, there's things you can just find on online. Um, and, and there's things that people like people, everybody, almost, almost everybody knows how to use, you know, like a Google calendar, like Outlook. And if you can set up some form of automation, just, you know, using that, it's like, well, that's how I set up my sprinklers. So somebody's like, oh, it's so, it's so complicated to set up. Well, not really. I mean, if you can work a Gmail calendar and you can, stack some Legos together. I mean, you can pretty much, you can pretty much do almost any home automation thing that you can think of. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's one of those things that I think, I think it'll become more widely adopted here soon, uh, just because things are getting cheaper. I mean, you already have something like the, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the Nest thermostat. It's a thermostat that Google bought and it basically just, you know, detects when you're home, when you're not home and it keeps, you know, your house cool when you're there and, you know, it'll let it warm up and it just makes everything really energy efficient. And it's one of these things you can go buy for, you know, $200 off the shelf and, you know, it's supposed to save you that amount of, uh, in your utility bill just because it, it makes things more efficient. You can program it remotely. And I think as, you know, the whole, uh, people developing apps and things becoming more and more simple, you know, it's becoming less and less of like, oh, you need to know 
really hardcore programming and more of like, hey, if you can drag and drop these sort of actions that you want, that that's kind of where we're headed, I feel like, um, in terms of, you know, what you can do and things that you can automate around your house. Yeah, so we can talk about some of the stuff that we use to do this and the, the cost of it. So I keep hearing about something called Raspberry Pi, and I, I see it in your um, in your notes, and it's it's inexpensive. What the hell does it do, though? Because you can say it's simple all you want, but I don't get it. I don't understand. So I'm sure there's tons of people in this audience that don't get it. So what is that thing, and what does it allow you to do, and how the hell do you make it work? <laughs> so that's so that's the I guess the million dollar question. So Raspberry Pi is basically um you know it's a credit card sized computer and you can get you know a full kit for fifty dollars or if you just want to buy one straight you can get one for I think it's twenty five dollars um and basically what it is is exactly what it sounds like it's a miniature computer that runs uh, an operating system called Linux which a lot of people associate with like oh it's really difficult um but if you can use Windows or Mac you can easily figure this out you just plug it into a monitor. Um, and you can and you can run it. And basically, what's really nice about it is it's so cheap. You know, for fifty dollars, that you get a full kit of a full working computer, and it's so small and it uses so little electricity. Um, and so I get that question a lot of like, oh, well, you know, it's so hard. How do I get started? Honestly, if you just go to YouTube and say getting started Raspberry Pi, you'll get more videos than you could ever want. The setup is you know extremely simple. You know, just you. It's basically uh, you know just a little a little board about the size of a credit card. And the hard drive on it is an SD card that you put in your phone um, or, you know, that you put in your camera. So it's it's all equipment that people are pretty used to using, you know, if they've ever used a general smartphone or, you know, a, uh, a type of pretty much anything that uses an SD card. I feel like most people are familiar with that. Um, you plug it in, you know, you download some software off the Internet and it sets it all up for you. And then from there, you can just watch tutorial videos on how to do pretty much anything that you want. Um at my company, we actually have one that's in our uh, beer cooler, and it tells you, you know how much beer is left and the temperature of the beer. So it's it's pretty funny. And, <laughs> really and valuable really, information. There. Yeah. Well, and, and the, the people think like, oh yeah, well that's just kind of gimmicky. But when these things start to get even cheaper and cheaper, it's like okay, well you can include it in all your freight that you're shipping from, you know, across the country, and you can see real time statistics as you know where it is, where it's moving, the temperature of it. Um, you know, you can get those kind of alerts. And and what's crazy is the amount of power that's on here. I mean, you can run a full website off of it. Um, you know, it's it, it's kind of hard to explain more than that. It's basically, if, if you're familiar with a computer, it's a computer that's just a little bit lower powered. Maybe if you bought a computer in the past five years, it's probably a little bit less powerful than that. But for what it can do, if you're just wanting it to turn something on or off, if you want it to, um, you know, if you just want it to do pretty much whatever a normal computer can do, it's it's really accessible and it's um, what's nice about it is that it's kind of like the the de facto standard that that most people who are developing this kind of stuff, you know, if they're kids in school, if they're you know people just starting out, you know, working with something like robotics, or if it's you know just something really simple, people just want to get into a hobby. It's a really cheap way to get started, and there's so many resources online that you know there's there's full on classes that I've uh, like a website like edX or. You know, just YouTube, people will have a full-on class and like, hey, here's how you go from A to Z not knowing anything at all to, um, you know, to to being full-on experts where they do their own stuff, and, you know. You and that's the thing is is once once you get really good or once you get decent at it, you can start opening up and seeing, wow, you know, this stuff is, this stuff is really easy uh, to do. Do you think that maybe then there is a tremendous opportunity for people to do this to their own home, learn everything that they can do, whether they learn not every – 
You, just, you could basically do everything with it. So you can't, but learn all of the ways that it would work and then basically start a small business doing it for other people. Because I got to tell you, I listen to this and I just go, I'm out of time. I'm sure I can figure this out. I, but man, I, I just have to get through another day at this point with all the things that I do. And if someone was going to come out here and charge me a few hundred bucks a day to set all this stuff up for me, plus materials and, you know, cost plus 20% on materials so they make some money on the, you know, getting the materials for me and, and give me a quote, I'm like, go do it. Yeah, and that, that's absolutely one of those things is once you, once you do it one time, it's so scalable and so repeatable and, yeah, it just becomes so easy to where it's one of those things like, okay, well, um, you know, one of the first things you do when you set one of these things up is you'll run it through what's called a, a blink. You know, basically you turn a light on and off. Mm-hmm. And then you realize, okay, well, once you can do a single blink, that's the very first thing you do within the first 10 minutes of setting one of these things up. You know, then you realize, oh, I can connect that to anything and make it stay on as long as I want or off as long as I want. And that alone, I mean, somebody could easily just take that model you know, maybe get a nice little case for it, um, you know, and, and they can make a full product, sell them, no problem at all. I mean, I've actually, you know, found that with some of the stuff that I have around my house, people are like, oh, you know, like, hey, can you, you know, can you come do that at my house? Can you come do this? Can you come do that? Yeah. Um, just because it's all these really simple little things that, you know, maybe took me, you know, a weekend on the afternoon, um, you know, and I, I'm just like, you know, I'm like, hey, I'll send you, you know, my full setup on how I did it and, you know, you can do it. But uh, yeah, I'm just like, you. Yeah, I have, I have not enough time in the day to, uh, to do that kind of stuff. Um, and it's, it's actually really funny that you say that because now I'm thinking of, um, I just documented, uh, the chicken door that I made, you know, all the pieces that are in it, all the, you know, wiring diagrams, the code that I used, um, and just basically all the links to everything. And it's so funny because I see your Duck Chronicles and I'm like, oh my gosh, all the video that he produces, I can't, like just one two minute video, it just took me so much longer than I thought it would. <laughs> um, yeah. And even going back, I really like that, uh, you know, when Matt McDougall did the, um, uh, you know, his 50 ducks in a hot tub and just, you wouldn't think it would take so long, but doing the video on how to do all that kind of stuff, it, it takes forever. Um, and if, but if somebody definitely wanted, if, the, you know, if you're a, uh, entrepreneur kind of a type that, or you're in college and you're like, ah, oh, you know what? Like, I really like to turn this stuff, um, you know, on and off. And, uh, you know, this is a nice hobby of mine. You could easily make, make a full time business out of it. No problem. Uh, it's I, one of those. It's an amazing opportunity because it's something that's very universal. So if you come out here, then I'm going to want to automate a lot of farm and homestead functionality. But if you go to somebody's yuppie suburban house, they're going to want to automate things like being able to remotely control their thermostat when the TV goes off after a certain amount of time or uh, be able to check and see if somebody's in their house, uh, if they're, you know, what have you, or, or, oh, I forgot to turn the security system on or like, so it's like there isn't a home in America uh, where anywhere where people would have at least the budget to do it with anyway, that there's not a potential customer. Because everybody has stuff that is, you know, I, I just do it because I don't know a better way and I don't want to take the time to figure it out. And to be able to have that all made very simple and be able to run it from your phone. And I think that is, that is where I think it, it really kind of has the magic sauce for people is that people are familiar with how to run an app on a smartphone. So if the, if the install specialist or whatever you want to call it can get it to that point, then they're comfortable with it. But that's, you know, thinking about it, how to do it for a lot of people, I think would be maybe not impossible, but just 
it isn't going to happen because I don't have the time. Even if I do, I don't feel like I have the time, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And it's one of those things that this, you know, this is half what I do for work and half of it I do for fun. Um, you know, so it's one of those things that to me, this is exciting. This is, you know, this is the kind of stuff that I really like to do. And if, and if somebody else, you know, comes along and they're just like, oh yeah, like this isn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. It's actually not that bad. And, you know, they try doing it. They get very, very easily. There, there's, it's like you said, there's not a single person out there that wouldn't have something in their life that they'd like to be automated. And, and a lot of the times it's really dumb things that have been around since forever. You know, like the front yard lights turning on and off on a timer. Um, you know, like your irrigation working, just, just, there's yeah. so many different little things or even, um, you know, a lot of people have a security system in their house that, you know, has the motion detector and motion sensor, that kind of thing. Well, now they have smoke detectors that, you know, will text you or, you know, send a push notification saying, Hey, you know, like you might want to get here. There's smoke detected in your house or, Hey, carbon monoxide is present. And, um, and what's funny is that, you know, you can get all these commercial off the shelf things. Um, and they're typically a couple hundred dollars if you want to get something like that. But if you were somebody who wanted to make a business around it, you know, you could go buy a carbon monoxide sensor that you could put on a Raspberry Pi, for example, and, you know, less than an afternoon you have it set up. And that carbon monoxide sensor costs, well, I don't know, maybe like three or four dollars. And, sure. and, you know, you go buy one for a couple hundred dollars off the shelf. Um, it's it's just it's pretty incredible what what's out there for how cheap it is out there. And if someone says like. Oh, well, you know, if you get it and it's like the cheaper one, it's like, no, this is, if you look at the model number, it's exactly, exactly the same the as what, yeah, it's, it's exactly the same thing. You can, plastic. yeah, absolutely. You can just, you can just pull it out, you know, you can just open up one of those things and say, oh, that's the same sensor that I have. Mine's just in, you know, like a little plywood box or, you know, a little cardboard box. It does the same exact thing. It just, one looks a lot nicer. Yeah. Um, it's all from a factory in Hong Kong. Let's, yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah. And now, and now that they're coming out with 3D printers, you can print your own, you know, your own case, your own stuff. Um, I just had a friend of mine. She's a, she's a teacher and she just got one of these for a high school classroom. And, um, and it's like now, you know, I help her set it up and, and I, now I can print my own stuff. So it's like, Oh, before I have this, you know, plastic shoe box or something that I would use for an enclosure. Now I can just print my own and it has a little screw hole mounts. And, and that's one of those things too, that, uh, with the whole 3d printing revolution coming up here pretty soon, um, you know, you're going to have a cottage industry, you know, somebody from their dorm room being able to mass produce tons of tons of these things. Yeah, I think that's going to be really a big deal. And I think that you'll be able to do things like, OK, I need a, an enclosure that needs to have at least this, this is the minimum dimensions. This is the maximum dimensions. And you'll just be able to go to a website and buy the pattern from somebody yeah. that already did it. And then once you bought that pattern, you can make as many of them as you want to. I yeah, that's uh, really coming with with 3D printing. I think that's going to be actually one of the biggest business opportunities because yeah, I might only sell the pattern to you for three, four, five, ten dollars, depending on what it is. But I make that pattern, and I don't ever do anything again. And every time somebody buys that pattern, and sure, people can pirate it and all, but I mean, I've found that if if things are fairly and reasonably priced and you have an easy way to find what you're looking for with a, a market type thing, most people are happy to pay a couple bucks, ten bucks for something. They understand that, like, for something of value to be created, somebody had to do it. Yeah, and th yeah, that's exactly true. It's funny that you say that, too, because, um, so, you know, I had one of these little crummy plastic clips break on my car. And I was like, oh, man, like, I, I went and looked up the price. You know, I went to O'Reilly's and they're just like, 
oh, yeah, that'll be like $20, and it could not have been, you know, <laughs> maybe more than three cents worth of plastic. Yeah. And so, you know, I printed my own, and, you know, it's one of those things that, okay, maybe maybe somebody doesn't want to sit there and try and design their own little plastic piece instead of spend $20 for it. You know, that may not be worth their time. But I posted that on a website, and now anybody who has, you know, the same make and model car as I do can easily just go to the website, download the piece, and print it, you know, Maybe they won't have one at their home, but they can definitely, you know, have one, you know, maybe at a school that's nearby or they have uh, places called, um, I don't know, I don't know if you're familiar with them, they're called hacker spaces or maker spaces. Yep. Or basically it's, you know, it's a whole bunch of people that, you know, uh, it's like you find a gym membership only instead of using, you know, gym equipment, you get to use, you know, thousand dollar pieces of, you know, hardware and stuff. You know, you can use a lathe, a 3D printer, all these different really, you know, these really cool things that, oh, okay, hey, I just want to, you know, maybe for the afternoon I'll go down there print out all the pieces that I need and then, you know, go take them back home. Um, or there's even places that you can go online now, send them your design and they'll mail it to you and they'll just charge you for, you know, shipping in uh, plastic. Um, yeah. And I think that's also going to change too, even about accessibility to get more, they're going to get cheaper because uh, dating myself here, my first computer uh, that I actually owned was a Commodore 64. Wow. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. That's all dude. <laughs> Right with the the dot matrix <laughs> on it, right? The computer itself was like seven hundred dollars, and this isn't like nineteen eighty four money. And pretty much, it was like you could do some basic coding and you could play video games. And the modem for it was like a fourteen kilobits modem or something, or maybe ninety six hundred. Might have been ninety six hundred, and it was one of those old ones like you saw in the movie War Games, where you made a phone call and you put the phone in the thing, and you had to have a number to know to call the other computer. And we were on chatboards. That modem was like two hundred and fifty dollars, and that crappy ass printer was almost as much as a computer. And, and that stuff today is a paperweight. No one even cares unless you're trying to make a movie about the past and you want authentic props in it. Um, but you can go out and buy a computer today. Um, without even getting into the Linux open source and all, just a straight up rebuilt Windows computer that can do more in the first second it's booted up than that thing could do in its entire lifetime. And you can buy that for a couple hundred bucks. So <laughs> I can't see a world in which you don't see the price of 3D printers just dropping and dropping and dropping over time. And they don't end up becoming like, you know, who had a, Who had a printer in their home in 1985, unless you were a computer geek kid like me, right? Yeah, no one exactly. had a printer. Now everybody's got a printer, and there's probably an old one you, that you got tired of fixing that's in the closet somewhere. And when you need to print something, you have a laptop hooked up to it, and you print it. I see 3D printers like doing that eventually, like every home in America, of any means anyway, having a 3D printer. And if you don't have one, your neighbor does. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of those things that, you know, I, I foresee when I have kids here and sometime in the near future, it'd be one of those things where by the time that they're wanting toys, it's like, hey, you know, you guys can go design your own toys and just print Ooh. them and have them right then and there. And that and that's one of those things, you know, you figure, oh, you have an action figure that you really want, you know, like maybe a sword for or a shield for wow. and you get your kids on the computer and it's like, Sure, you know, you can print whatever you want. You can now print your own toys. I think I think that's going to be pretty dangerous. You know what I just in my head realized? Like, so like industry's all scared of this. It was the same way they were scared of downloading movies and music. And now industry's making a fortune on that. What I just saw in my head was a world where 3D printers meet a Netflix model. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. So Mattel has all their toy patterns, and with a subscription, you can access those patterns anytime you want. But when your subscription gets turned off, you can't get to them anymore. Yes, yeah, absolutely. One of those things where it's like, oh, you have you know your Iron Man action figure that you printed out. Yeah. Cool. Well, if you want you know a new helmet, if you want a new shield, a new gun, a new you know something. Yeah. Um. The other the other thing that's really funny too is that same friend that has that 3D printer. Uh, you know, she has a bunch of really younger cousins that have dollhouses, and now all of the things for dollhouses, you know, you can print your furniture, you can print your bed, you can every, – everything you can think of that's a cheap little plastic toy that, you know, these kids have, um, you know, is easily printable. And so exactly like you said, if, if they have a Netflix subscription, you know, kind of sort of model where, you know, oh, you know, you can download however many different design patterns you want, you know, yeah, a I mean, month or whatever. Yeah, per month, and then there's a – like just like data on an iPhone, right? Like you get three gigs, but if you go over a gig, then they charge you an extra ten bucks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And I, I think what's really also really cool about it is I feel like there's a disconnect now of you have you have a kid who uses, you know, um, you know, who plays Minecraft and that. Well, so before it was one of these things where you need to go to school, you need to learn how to use, you know, CAD software. And it was really inaccessible for somebody who's just a home user. And now like now there's, you know, kids that play the game Minecraft, you know, where they build their own worlds and it's basically just Legos, but on the computer. And it's, you know, those kind of kids. Now they're going to be able to just be able to print whatever they want, um, you know, and be able to do whatever they want. It's a great learning tool because, you know, that will then translate easily, you know, into the workplace. If you're, you know, if you're like what my old profession was, you know, you're doing a lot of CAD drawing, a lot of drafting, you know, now that'll be second nature. I feel like just how like, you know, maybe somebody using a, uh, you know, like a smartphone or, yeah. you know, a dumb phone was, it's just now you see two-year-olds playing with them. I mean, it's, it's just yeah. that accessible. Unbelievable, really. Let's talk about some other things you have on your notes here, though, that, that could be used for this. So what's in a Arduino? So an Arduino is kind of like a, like it's a dumber version of a Raspberry Pi. So if you want to picture um, – so Raspberry Pi is a full computer. You know, you can do anything you can really do on an, on any other computer. It's just a little – it's really tiny, and it's really uh, underpowered. Um, and an Arduino, if you picture that, is just running one program. So an Arduino only runs one program. And it just does that in a loop over and over and over, or it waits, you know, for some kind of a, some kind of an input. What's really nice about Arduinos, so Arduinos came, um, I think they started in 2005. Um, it's kind of the standard if you're making, you know, anything um, like, like if you're in school for robotics or, you know, programming. It's always kind of one of the first things they bring out is just like uh, um, as a way to to get your feet wet. And what's really nice about it is it's really cheap. Uh, I'm, I mean, so I thought the Raspberry Pi was cheap, you know, $35 for a, for a computer, but an Arduino is, you know, you can get them on eBay for less than three or $4 wow. and it, and it's just, it's probably about the size. Um, I mean, they, they come in full size, full different range of sizes, but I mean, the smaller end is like the size of a thumb drive. You know, you plug a USB into it, uh, you know, like USB cable into your computer and that's how you program it. So it's really easy because anybody with a laptop, you know, can easily plug one in, get started less than 10 minutes. Um, and so that's that's probably more for something that, um, like, say you want to turn a light on or off. It's a dedicated task, something that's always going to be there. Single binary thing, on off. Yeah, on off. I mean, it can do other stuff. It can it can receive input from the environment. So say, hey, the temperature okay. gets this hot, or you know, light turned on, motion. Um, you know, if it detects something, it can it can take all these inputs in there. But it's not a full operating system like a Raspberry Pi would be. It basically just runs one program that goes over and over and over. Okay. And and it's still extremely powerful with what you can do with it. I mean, I have I have plenty set up around my house because um, they're so cheap. You know, it's like $3, and I have one that uh, has an infrared sensor on it, and infrared sensor is like, uh, you know, you can receive like like 
uh, information from like a TV remote that's pressed or something along those lines. And my uh, my smart meter, you know, that uh, that our utilities company puts outside of our house, um, it emits a a uh, uh, infrared signal every time you know you use X amount of power. And so all it is is just a little three dollar deal that just sits there and just monitors my power usage, and then I can just check it from my phone in real time, so I can say like, oh man, did I leave that pump on, or you know, did I you know leave the AC on, or you know, why am what's using so much power? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just it's for one of those things that you have a really dedicated task that you want to do with it, um, but you don't want to spend the money to have a full computer there, and uh, yeah, it's just it's an extremely small and extremely easy way to to get your feet wet. I mean, this is one of these things that like in computer science 101, they'll give it to you. Um, you know, you, same thing with the raspberry Pi. If you just go online and look at, um, you know, if you go and look at, you know, ra- or sorry, Arduino, uh, YouTube and tutorial, and it's, there's tons and tons and tons of information just getting started. Um, and yeah, it, it pretty much anything you can think of is, is available there for you to look at. Very cool. So, then you have another thing here called Little Bits, a stackable product. Yeah, so um, so Little Bits is it's based kind of off Arduino stuff. Only it's only it's really easy. You don't really need any programming at all. It's uh, a company based, I think, in Silicon Valley. And basically, what what it is is they they have all these sensors and uh, Arduinos and stuff that you could normally buy off the shelf. Um, you know, like and you'd have to solder them or you know wire them into it or do something that's a little bit more difficult. And they kind of bring that aspect, but like, uh, like kind of marry it with like Legos, you know, you like snap them together. Okay. Um, and so you function stack. So, you know, you have like your main controller and then you like snap in say a light sensor, you know, that detects if lights turned on or off. And then, you know, you stack another one on there that says, okay, is there motion, you know, and, uh, all the programming that's done, it's all done by drag and drop. So, you know, you have, you know, program that's open and you can just click the action that you want to happen on it and you program it that way. So it's, it's a little bit more expensive. You know, it's not a $10, you know, microcontroller that you can just buy, but it's a, um, it's a real easy way that if somebody has a kid that they want to get started into it or if they want to just start themselves and they think, oh, you know what? I don't know really next to anything about programming or, you know, anything. If you can just click and drag and you know what you want to do with it, um, there's plenty of examples and it's, it's so accessible and it's still, it's still fairly cheap for what it is. I mean, for a hundred dollars, you get a full kit of, you know, just, just, tons of different sensors and motors and you know all these different things you can do and like i said programming it is it's it's a snap if you can just click and drag stuff it's it's as easy as it gets awesome awesome so let's see what else i have relays and wi-fi switches yeah so that so this is the next thing that i think is gonna come out they already have this um there's a company called belkin uh that has something called the wemo and basically all a wemo is is it you plug it into an outlet and you plug something else into the wemo and it basically just acts as a, a switch that you can turn on and off via your phone. Um, and basically, if you pop open one of these Wemos, you know, they sell them for, I think, $50. Basically, all it is is just a little, uh, it's a little relay, which, like I said before, is just an uh, electronic switch. You know, I mean, it, it just, it does the exact same thing that a switch would do. It just flips on and off. Um, and then it just has a little Wi-Fi adapter onto it. And the little Wi-Fi adapter just, you know, connects your Wi-Fi network and it just sits there. Until you give the you know the action via your phone or via the internet, hey, I want to turn on and off, on and off. And there's a lot of things um, that kind of just come down to that base unit of turning on and off. I know I say it a lot, but um, you know, so I, uh, it's really easy to picture with a light. You turn a light on, you turn a light off. Um, but pretty much anywhere you do, you press like a button, it could be used in the same way. So like if you have a garage door, um, you know, you just 
plug that right in and then all of a sudden now your garage door and you hit on by turning the you know by by clicking the relay um you know you, then you can open your garage door you can you know unlock a door you can um um but there, there's tons of different things you can do you turn a motor on i mean anything you can think of that's in your house you can automate with this same thing with so if, if you can just plug something into an outlet um you know people are pretty familiar with them with like christmas tree lights you know you can click your christmas tree lights on you can click your christmas tree lights off but anything you plug into an outlet then you can control you know wirelessly whether you're not at home whether you are at home um so it's just it's one of those things that a lot of people think like, oh, well, to do to automate, you know, this one appliance would be really difficult. And it's like, well, not really. If you, you know, say you wanted your coffee pot. Now, a lot of coffee pots have timers that click on in the morning. But same thing. You just have, you know, the coffee pot plugged into it and it'll click on uh, certain, as soon as it receives power. So it's it's a lot of it comes down to this on and off, on and off and being able to control that on and off, um, you know, from from your phone, from a website from pretty much wherever you are. That's and that, that's what I think is really cool about it. It's because I I typically go out of town a lot, and so being able to just do little things, you know, like hey, leave a light on, you know, when you when you're gone, uh, be able to automate, you know, the chickens getting fed, getting watered, um, uh, have their door open and closed. That way, I don't need to have somebody, you know, drive all the way over to my house, try and do all this stuff because it's all it's all pretty it's all pretty automated to where um, you know it's fairly easy for just anyone now because now my wife who's an English major and absolutely hates anything to do with computers for the most part, unless it's editing a video or looking at pictures, um, you know, she can easily, you know, just open up her phone and she knows, okay, you know, I can click, you know, door open, feed chickens, you know, water chickens, you know, turn on lights. And it's, and it's all extremely cheap and really easy for, for what you would think it would be. So, like, I know you've mentioned YouTube and some other resources and all, but what do you think a person should do to get started with this if they've never done anything like it before at all? Like, it, maybe maybe start out with a simple project that's just a learning project, or what resources would you go to first, and, and, and how do they kind of open the Pandora's box, so to speak, to the point where they go, hey, now I get it, and now I can, I can start figuring out what else I'm going to do with it? Yeah, um, it's one of those things. Again, I mentioned YouTube. That's that's really powerful. Just if you want to, before you get, you know, go out and order a bunch of kits of stuff, just go watch some projects that other people have done. Um, I'm trying to document more of my projects right now, and and it's it's a lot more difficult than I would have thought. It takes a lot more time, um, and since it's not what I enjoy, it's it's kind of harder to do that. But uh, there's plenty of other websites if you want to get learning. If you want to get be able to learn, you know, how to code and program, there's websites such as Code Academy, which will just get your uh, feet wet. It takes you from you know, being able to type a sentence in Word to um, to learning, you know, just the basics of coding. It'll walk you through it. So if you're not, you know, really confident in your computer skills, it's it's one way that, you know, you can take in, you know, less than a week just doing it when you come home from work kind of a thing uh, to get yourself really familiarized with that kind of stuff. Um, if you're looking for more something like, hey, I need, you know, I need some more structure. Um, a lot of, if you look up uh, maker spaces or hacker spaces in your area, there's plenty of, you know, like-minded people that will, that that's one of their favorite things is teaching and showing other people, you know, what they've done and talking about their projects. Um, and that's a really cool way to get started. There's even more structured stuff they have, um, you know, uh, full-on courses on this kind of stuff on a website called edX uh, or Coursera. These are websites that are, that basically are just free online education um, you know, you don't get any credit for it, but it, you get to learn the skill. And if that's what you're really interested in, um, you know, that's that's one of the best ways to do it. Uh, but really, honestly, it's just talking with other people who have done projects similar to what you've done. Um, yeah, I mean, that that's probably the best way to get started. 
Got you, got you, man. Um, hey, anyway, uh, the next thing I wanted to really kind of talk to you about was some of the more of the stuff that you've done. We've kind of peppered it in there. We talked about yourself locking chicken door, uh, but I've seen your notes there's a predator deterrent. So what's 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 up with that? Oh yeah, so um, so okay, so some of the first some of the projects that I've done. So I've done my the one that I that I've been working on a lot more because it's just one of those things that just kind of scaled out and out and out. Um, is my my chicken door. So really, it's more like a like automated chicken coop because now it's uh. So before it was just a door that went up and down, and then it was like, well, you know what? I should add in you know their feeding system, uh, into it. And so basically, it's you know just like a like a little deal that open up a flap that you know that gives them an X amount of food. Um, you know it'll make sure they have water. It'll check the temperature. So it kind of does, does those things. And one of the things I added to it was the uh, predator detection. And all it is is just the motion sensor um, right outside their coop. And what it'll do is um, uh, I have a sprinkler basically just set up so that when you know, it detects motion outside the coop, it'll just turn on the sprinkler. It has um, – I saw in another video, and I've used it. I'm not sure how well it works. If somebody has two like uh, uh, like LEDs that kind of look like a pair of reflecting eyes that I hear – um, you know, might scare something like a possum or a raccoon away, but there's there's a lot of that kind of thing that goes into it, and it's just kind of funny because one time I walked out there without you know disarming it, and I got sprayed by the hose, and you know <laughs> then I see I see uh, you know these two little you know red LEDs looking back at me, and it kind of you know looks like eyes. And one of the other things that I thought about putting in there was you know like a barking dog or something like that, but I, I haven't gone that far yet. But some of the other, uh, you know, stuff that it does, like it has text message notifications. So, like I said, if the door doesn't close or if there's, um, you know, something out there, it'll like, hey, you know what, you should probably go check out there because there's still motion moving around. Um, but but just in terms of like stuff around my house, I have, um, you know, like I get a text message when mail arrives, you know, so all it is is just, hey, you know, uh, there's a little light sensor that's inside my mailbox. And so when you open it up, you know, it sees, hey, there's, you know, there's light there. Um, or, uh, there's another sensor on there too that also it's, it's called a Hall effect sensor, which sounds really fancy and really complicated, but really all it is, is it just detects if there's a magnet there. Um, and if you have a security system at your house or something like that, it's, it's the little deals that go in the door. And basically all it's saying is, Hey, is there a magnet here? Um, and you def- you put it somewhere like a door where when it's open, the magnet, you know, won't be there. So it says, Hey, magnet's gone, magnet's here. Um, and so I have that. So, hey, you can tell when somebody opens your mailbox, which, you know, you can probably know that if, hey, uh, it opened up a couple times that maybe somebody's looking, you know, through your mail. So if you have missing mail, that that kind of helped me for a while there. And I, um, if you knew it just just opened and closed, that means the mailman was just there. Exactly. And then if you have somebody, you know, an hour later, he says uh, it opened and closed again. That's well, I'm not at home and I know my wife's not at home. So who's, you know, opening the mailbox kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, and, and you and it's one of these things that uh, if you find a project like like something around your house, like um, it's really easy to kind of scale it up and go way overboard, um, which is also kind of cool because then it's like stuff that you stuff that you enjoy doing. So, like, I went really overboard in my chicken coop. But if you want to go overboard, you know, on the on the mailbox, then all of a sudden, you know, you could have like a little camera that they sell for, you know, a couple bucks, <laughs> you know, mounted in there. So you get a surprise look on someone's face when they're staring into a camera. Yeah. Um, or like I have, you know, when the motion when the, I detect motion, like in my front yard, it'll turn on the sprinklers, you know. So it's 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 one of those things that you could anything that you can think of then becomes real easy to do. Um, and another one I mentioned that I'm getting started with is a soil moisture sens- sensor. So I live in I live in the Central Valley of California and we're having a really bad drought problem here and yeah. the governor just signed into action some deal where I guess we have to use 25% less water 
Um, and so I'm just looking at like, okay, well, you know, my irrigation system that I have uses, you know, it's just the, it's a dumb irrigation system where it'll just, you know, flood and, you know, I can, uh, do that kind of a thing, but now I'm looking in a drip irrigation and now I can do targeted, um, I can do targeted spots like, Hey, you know, this, this spot over here, this is kind of dry. Um, and so we'll have water go towards that spot instead of, you know, Oh, you know, we're just going to run the dumb sprinklers or, you know, the dumb irrigation pump for, um, you know, every night or something like that. You, you can, you can really kind of tailor it and save a lot of money that way. Actually, I was really surprised. Uh, normally my water bill is, you know, maybe like in just around hovers around the hundred dollar mark. And with the automation stuff sitting there, it was, you know, okay, oh, that's now $40 a month instead of a hundred. So it's, it just paid for all the supplies that I did to, to buy it and have it set up. Um, but I, I mean, there's plenty of other stuff out there. There's also valve controllers. You know, if you have like a PVC pipe, you know, existing sprinkler system that you can easily just pop in a valve control and have that be controlled. Um, another big popular one is, you know, people monitoring their home remotely. I've, I've set up, you know, for like my parents, um, you know, a motion sensor so that'll text them when, hey, there's motion. But then, of course, you know, a cat would come up and that would detect motion. My dad would be like, oh, somebody's trying to break in. Yeah. Um, so then, you know, there's you certain up- technology that I believe should not be put in the hands of people over certain age. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It causes more worry. <laughs> My father-in-law, something as simple as caller ID. I, I just wanted to just rip the box out because he would be obsessed that somebody called while he was gone and they didn't leave a message. Well, they probably got a wrong number, Fred. Well, who were they? Why'd they call here? Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Motion detectors for the elderly sounds like a bad idea. Yeah, and so and so basically he's like, well, I was like, well, I can just turn it off. And my mom's like, yeah, you should turn it off. And my dad's like, no, now I want cameras. And my mom just rolls her eyes like, oh gosh, now we're gonna get cameras installed yeah. here. This is this is gonna be crazy. Um, but one of the other things that I really like about it, so I mentioned the Arduino and that all it does is run, you know, one program over and over. Well, they sell another three dollar little uh, module, which is a little radio module, which once you plug it in and start it up. You can then communicate um, with the Arduino like it's just plugged into your computer. And so what's really neat about that is that the sensor runs off of uh, uh, it's 433 megahertz, which is kind of like uh, in the amateur band of radios. Um, okay. I like radios too, so I'm I'm big into that. But what's what's nice about it is that you can you know monitor things on your property you know anywhere from about 500 yards away, and you can even get up to a mile, I think. But I, I've successfully done it up to about 500 yards, and it's it's really cool when all of a sudden you know, if, like say you're a farmer. I mean, maybe this wouldn't be for somebody who who's you know living in a suburban backyard, but if you're a farmer, um, you know, who wants to be able to you know see you know what the light levels are, you know, if they need UV levels, if they need uh, no moisture, you know, for ten dollars, be able to put a sensor out in the middle of a field and powered by a solar panel, it's another buck. You know, it's it's a real cheap and easy way to get to get some really useful data or that kind of thing. Gotcha, gotcha. What do you have planned for like the future then? Uh, so some of the stuff that I have um, coming up that I, you know, whenever I have free time, which is not a whole lot, is I have so um, I have uh, two hives of bees here in my backyard, and one of the things that I really want to do is I want to put a little sensor in there that'll count the bees going in and out, in and out. Huh. Um, here, here in California, we have a big problem with um, ca- colony collapse disorder, and you know, it, you know, we're I think we're called the breadbasket of the, you know, the rest of the country. And so we have a ton of agriculture that comes through here and, um, and we, we deal a huge, huge amount with colony collapse disorder, or there's some other kind of poison. Um, it's a neotinectinoids. I never know how to say it, but something along those lines that, uh, uh, contributes to that. And so what I think would be kind of cool is set up 
you know, a little sensor or, you know, like a little gate that the bees have to go through if they want to get out of a hive. They'll then count how many go out, how many come in, how many come out, how many go in. Um, and so then you can see kind of like daily totals. And then if all of a sudden, hey, you know, there's a lot more leaving than are coming back at night, you know, maybe we should look at the health of this hive. So maybe like a early warning system, I guess you kind of attribute it to like, hey, we're losing a lot of hives out of this or a lot of bees out of this hive. Mm-hmm. Maybe we should isolate this hive. So whatever's causing this problem, you know, we can we can uh, save it from spreading the other bees. Um, so I have, I have a couple friends that are uh, beekeepers um, and they're like, oh, yeah, you should do this right now. Like we will pay you, you know, <laughs> buckets full of money, you know, if, if you could develop a cheap solution to this. Um and then uh, another one of the things that I just think is kind of cool is I'm going to set up, you know, a central website. So that way I can monitor things that go on in the house. Right now, a lot of it's done, you know, by the old school looking command line kind of a thing. Uh, but as my wife now sees like, oh, you know, you can do actual things that are useful that I care about. You know, <laughs> she wants she wants to be able to open up her iPhone or iPad, you know, or from her computer uh, and be able to see like, oh, when was the door opened? Or, you know, hey, I want to be able to show my coworkers, you know, like our chickens or something like that. So I'm going to set up. You know, central website so she can kind of see everything that's going on. And then uh, one of the other things I think I already mentioned it too that I'm that I'm really kind of stoked about is um, is I want to be able to. So I have all the you know the I guess they're smart meters um, we got them recently put in uh, by our utility company just kind of like hey you have to do this. Um, but they all communicate back to a central place. So like for example I have my gas my gas meter my power meter and my water meter um, the gas and power meter all have a little, you know, blinking LED that blinks um, anytime that you use X amount of power. And I think it's like one watt or some some really small amount. So you can just count it, you know, in real time. Um, and so, like I said, I'm going to put an Arduino out there that will, you know, sit there and just monitor my gas usage, my power usage. And then uh, the water meter runs off of, you know, uh, I think a radio. And so I'm going to see if I can, um, you know, get, get some module. And, and that's the beautiful thing is so, you know, you look at something, you're like, oh, I have no idea how to interface with this. I just looked out there and I said, oh, here's the model number of this meter that I have. You know, I Google that meter and, uh, you know, it comes up, oh, you know, here's how it communicates back to its home station. And here's a $3 module that you can, you know, read what's coming off of it. And so one of those things where it's like if you can have real-time monitoring, you know, say you have like a leaky hose or you left something on, it's really useful to be able to see like, wow, you know, I'm using a lot of water right now. And, you know, I think my you can see that in your reflected in your utility bill, but this will give you more fine-grained like, hey, what's actually happening right now? Because it's kind of hard when even if you can look at it day by day to be able to see like, well, like, why did I use so much power that day? Like, I don't even remember what I was doing. That was like a month ago. Well, the billing statement shows this date and I don't really know. Um, so it's just a real it's a real easy way to be able to, uh, you know, monitor your power usage and um, water usage and just your utilities in general. Um, and then I've also seen projects where people have done done similar stuff to where if they have a sump pump, you know, hey, make sure that sump pump is running. Uh, I don't have a basement, so that's not a problem for me. But it just just the, that's some of the stuff that's on my horizon. And, and I think I think what I'm trying to do more is I have a lot of people that you know ask me, hey, you know, how do you do this? How do you do that? Um, and I'm like, oh, well, I did it. And if I would have just taken the time to sit there and document it, it would have saved me a ton of time and it would have made everything look a lot nicer. So the first the first one that I did is I documented, you know, the portion of my chicken coop door that, you know, goes uh, up and down. So I just uploaded that to YouTube not too long ago. Um, so I'm hoping to uh, to get that started. Another thing that I'm starting up to is um, I don't know. Are you familiar with GitHub, Jack? With what? GitHub. No. So GitHub is like. Uh, so say I write a program and um, it's it's for programmers and say I write a program 
and you know I want to be able to share my program with somebody else. It's it's just like it's just basically a message board for okay. for programmers that looks really nice. It like it's one of those things that before they had they've had something very similar to this in the past, but now this is somebody that a non-programmer can look at and look at pictures and see what it actually does. Um, so it's just a way of sharing that. And so I'm I'm working on getting that set up too, where I can you know then share code and share share you know things with people who you know need help or um. Uh, or, you know, if I need help from somebody like, hey, here, look at what I've done. Can you comment on it? Or, you know, what do you think about it? So, um, yeah, I mean, th- th- that's some of the stuff that I've coming up. But, man, you know, I'm 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 super busy. So it's whenever I get the time. What, why? Why did you decide that this is what you would do with apparently all your free time? Um, <laughs> Like I said, it's it's just a hobby for me. I mean, I, I really enjoyed it. It seems like one of those really nerdy things that you're just like. Oh, you know, you can geek out on it and, you know, you could just spend all, all of it. But realistically, like, well, the first things with my chicken coop, it was, you know, oh, man, I really just, I really don't want to wake up at 545 in the morning, you know, or five in the morning to let out my chickens. And I really, you know, some night if I'm like out hanging out with friends, I don't want to have to go home and, you know, go close the coop. And for me, that's just, that was just laziness. I was like, well, if I could design something in an afternoon, that'll make it so I can sleep in. That's awesome. That's great. Um, but I think, but then I kind of thought about it and I was like, well, you know, for people who, you know, like they ha- they would have to go drive to a job site or they would have to go, you know, go do something like that. It's like, you know, I, it wasn't until then I was like, ah, this, this could be a lot more powerful than I, you know, than what I thought. Um, and, and then also I really just like being able to leave, leave my house, but still be able to keep an eye on it. Um, you know, I'm, you know, I only, I only work maybe five, six minutes away, uh, from, you know, from where I live. So it's not too hard for me to go back and forth, back and forth. But if you're somebody that has a commute or something like that, I just really like being able to leave my house, maybe like go on vacation and just have everything take care of itself and not just like, hey, it's going to take care of itself and just work out. But the fact that, you know, I can go also go and say, look at it and see like, oh, actually, you know, it says the water's on, but the moisture sensor still shows that it's really dry. Hey, maybe if I need to, I can have somebody I know just go check it out real quick. Um, but really, really just being able to to automate most of the things around my house and be able to it'll just give me more free time and it'll you know free up when i can actually go do things you know i don't have to go home to you know feed chickens to you know feed cat feed the dog feed you know all that kind of stuff i can just i can just sit there and just do it all remotely from work i can check on it i mean that's really why i do it i it's, it's a hobby for me and really just to automate little things and i'm like why hasn't this already been done why hasn't somebody already done this before so do you have like a YouTube channel people can check out or uh, yeah, so outside I'm, or anything? Yeah, so I'm working I'm working getting that all plumbed up right now. Um I, my website is ericescobar.com, but I don't I don't even know if there's anything up there right now. I I still have my main page that I have yet to post up there. But you know, I have a YouTube channel that you know people can subscribe to. It's just Eric Escobar. Um and you know, that's where I put my first uh that's where I put my first um, you know, chicken, chicken video or whatever. So that's, you know, so that's up there. But, um, and then also on GitHub, I'm also just Eric Escobar. It's just my name. I just lost you there. Oh, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead. Anyway, you were saying you put up your chicken video and then. Yeah. So I just, I just put up my chicken video on, on my YouTube channel. And then I also, um, I also have my, everything's under my name, just Eric Escobar. Um, you know, it's either ericescobar.com. My email is eric at escobar.com. And, you know, my YouTube channel is just Eric Escobar. So it's, Always just my name, um, or same thing, same thing with GitHub. It's GitHub, just Eric Escobar, um, and you can find pretty much you can find me pretty easily that way. Cool. Well, I'll make sure that there are links uh, for everybody to uh, find you, so they don't end up finding the guy named Eric Escobar that's apparently a WWE guy. 
on YouTube. Oh gosh, that's what I, I found initially. So be, oh gosh, yeah. So then maybe 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 temper that with like Eric Escobar Fresno, yeah. you know, or, yeah. or Eric Escobar California, not yeah, not the WWE guy. I guess I, there was such a person, but I mean, my wrestling days are back to Macho Man Savage, and <laughs> Dingo Warrior. So I'm a little out of, out of step, I think, with current uh, professional, if you want to call that uh, wrestling, but. Uh, Anyway, man, I do appreciate you being on the air with us today. I think that you've given people a lot of stuff to thought, to, you know, to really think about. And part of what makes me excited about the more I can automate, the more time I can spend away from my house without freaking out about stuff. So I think that's a, a good direction ahead. And, and again, I thank you for uh, taking the time to be with us today, Eric. Yeah, absolutely. And folks, with that, this has been Jack Spearco today, along with Eric Escobar, helping you figure out how to live that better life. Times get tough, or even if they don't. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. Let me show you a better way. Yeah.